here at Roots, we do preach through uh, books of the Bible, and uh, so we're going to continue to do that today, um, and that's just because we believe that we need God's Word more than anything else. Um, and God's Word is not just information, but it is power. It is what not just teaches us about God, but also empowers us and equips us to live for God. Um, as God's Spirit dwells in us and empowers us, uh, God's Word changes us and changes our desires and uh, equips us for everything that we need for this life. So we're going to continue to do that today. Uh, last week we were not here. Um, we were up at family camp, our annual family camp. Um, for those of you who could not make it, we took a break from 1 Corinthians, so you didn't miss anything. We're going to jump back in where we left off a couple weeks ago in chapter 7. Uh, we'll be in verses 17 through 24 today. And uh, the big idea of this passage is pretty clear because it's repeated three times. So let me just read those three um, repetitions of the big idea here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll work through it. So in verse 17, the first verse, Paul writes, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse, and then if you jump down to verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And if you go, to go down a few more verses, 24. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, apparently there was the, the thinking among at least some of the Corinthians that when you became a Christian, you needed to change your place in life. You needed to make some immediate changes to your position in life. So perhaps you were married. Maybe you needed to get divorced so that you could more fully devote your life to God, um, especially if you were married to an unbeliever. So we considered this a couple weeks ago. This is apparently what some of them were thinking. Perhaps if you were among the poor and you, you were a bond, bond servant, as we're going to look at, and you worked for someone, perhaps you needed to get out of that situation to fully live for God. Perhaps if you were a Jew, you needed to become more like a Gentile, a non-Jew, or vice versa. You, if you weren't a Jew, you needed to take on some of the Jewish practices. The idea was that, and the suggestion was that you needed, if you were going to come to Christ and live faithfully and fruitfully for Him, you needed to make these immediate and drastic changes to your life. You couldn't honor God right where you're at. And Paul is going to push back against that as faulty thinking. Um, it's summed up well what Paul says by one commentator, Craig Blomberg. He says, do not be in a hurry to change the external circumstances of your life simply because you have become a Christian. Don't be in a hurry to change the external situations of your life. Whatever situation you were in when you came to Christ or you find yourself in as a Christian, whether at home, in your marriage, at work, or in society, your first inclination should be just to continue on right where you are, glorifying God, living faithfully for God right there. You shouldn't think that this has to necessarily change in order to live faithfully for God. Now, this is a simple statement, a simple truth, but it comes with a couple of important implications. The first the first implication is that believers will occupy different areas of life. Believers will occupy different areas of life. In the, in the work and career that we 
that we are in, in the various freedoms and opportunities or lack thereof that we find ourselves in, in our wealth, in our power, our influence that we possess, in our marital status, in our religious backgrounds, in our cultural backgrounds, God saves people from all walks of life. Which should be evident in any church. And then God calls these diverse people to come together and find unity, not in any of those things, but in Christ to be unified in a singular boast in Christ and to care for one another as members of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is part of the beauty of a church community, is that we are diverse in many ways, in some ways that are difficult. But we find our unity and our common boast in Christ. Secondly, this implies that your place in life, that your walk in life, is no longer the most important thing about you in Christ. Whether what job you have, what career you are or were in, how much money you make or don't make, what opportunities or freedoms or powers or influence you may have, is not what matters most about you. What matters most is that you belong to God through Christ. And this means that we don't come to God and we don't come into the church clinging to all of these extra identities and saying, well, look what I did. Look, look at me. Look, look who I am. Look at the, the gifts and abilities I have. Thank God I am not like other people. No, we come to Christ and we come into the church confessing that we don't belong because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And we boast, as Paul has said repeatedly, we boast not in anything about ourselves or any other man or woman, but singularly in Christ. And that keeps us humble, but it also keeps us confident. And all of this means and this is Paul's main point, that when you come to Christ, you don't need to change your position in life. You are changed in Christ, of course. You are changed inwardly as, as you respond to the gospel, as God gives you his spirit. You are changed dramatically and eternally and truly in your heart and your mind and your strengths and your desires in ways that bears visible fruit outwardly. But becoming and living faithfully as a Christian doesn't require you to change your job or career, your neighborhood, your community, your state, your culture, your background, your ethnicity, your social standing, your income, your freedoms and opportunities or lack thereof. No, you can live faithfully for God and glorify him right where you are. God has purposes for you right where you are. In fact, it says that the Lord assigned to him. So there's this idea that God has assigned you a place in life. Now, we'll talk about this. This, this is not something that can never change and that you should never seek to change, but you should consider that God has you right where you are for a reason. Now, as you read this section closely, 
you realize that this is not an ultimate command with no exceptions, such that we should never seek to change our situation in life. So Paul's going to go on to tell bond servants that if they can gain their freedom, they can. That's a good change. Singles, those not married, as we saw, can get married. And certainly there are some other situations in life, careers that are inherently immoral, that we should seek to change. But in general, we shouldn't think that living for Christ requires a certain career path, a certain life, requires changes to where we are today. So before looking at a couple examples that Paul gives, just consider some of the ways that we might go down this road and, and make this thinking today. I think one of them is that sometimes there's the thought that to be a faithful and fruitful Christian, you need to go into some sort of formal ministry. You need to be a missionary or a, a pastor. Now, don't get me wrong. We need those. Those are good things, and maybe that is where God is calling you. But you have fruitful and faithful opportunities for ministry right where you are. There are people in your life right now that if you ejected from that position in life would be worse off because you're not there. You have a ministry field right where you are, whether at work, at home, at school, in your neighborhood, in the things you do in your community. Likewise, sometimes we have the thought that um, because there's not very many believers where I'm at, or because there's a lot of people who think differently than me, who don't have a Christian view of the world around me, that I need, to, I need to find a new job or I need to find a new community. Again, these places and the people in them need the witness of the gospel and the salt and light of God's people. As we saw a couple weeks ago, Paul tells the, the believing spouse who's married to an unbeliever to stay in the marriage for the sake of witness. Sometimes there are very difficult and perhaps dark situations that we find ourselves in that the best thing to do, perhaps, is just to stay and continue to be a witness and let God work through us. And Paul then helps us think through this a little bit more with a couple examples. So the first example he gives, starting in verse 18, says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now, if you didn't grow up in the church or haven't been in church long, you're wondering why we all of a sudden turn to the topic of circumcision. The distinction here is, is between whether one is a Jew or a, a Gentile, a non-Jew, whether one has the distinguishing marks, circumcision, of a Jew. Now, this is difficult for us today to fully put ourselves in and understand, but this was one of the most pressing questions and issues in the early church. This is a time when the early church is still trying to figure out what it meant that the salvation that is in Christ is for all people, 
not just the Jews. Because God had revealed himself to and worked among and through the Jews for over a thousand years. They were his people. Jesus was a Jew, and many of them were anticipating a Savior to come and save the Jews from their enemies like the Romans. And so there's lots of questions. If Jesus came to save all, what was the continual, continuing purpose and value of this, these Jewish identity markers that God had given, like circumcision, like the Sabbath? What benefit did the Jews have because of their history? And specifically in this time, there's, there's one group of believers called the Judaizers who thought that Gentile Christians, when they became Christians, had to get circumcised and adopt these Jewish markers and, and traditions. On the other hand, there were some Jews who would go about a surgical procedure to remove the, the visible signs of circumcision, we won't go into what that involved, to more readily fit into society. And Paul makes a statement that would have been incredibly shocking and controversial. He says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God. Essentially, this is a matter of indifference. It doesn't factor into being a child of God, to bearing fruit for God. You can glorify God as a Jew. You can glorify God as a Gentile. You can glorify God by continuing to observe the various feasts and festivals and remembrances of the Jews or by not. This is not something that has to change when you come to Christ. Now, it's difficult to, to think about modern-day applications of this, other than if you were a Jew and you came to Christ as a Jew. But we can tease this out to apply to the various histories and experiences that we have, that we bring to Christ, that we come to Christ with, or the various groups that we belong to. And perhaps there is a temptation to think that my experience, my history, my group identity gives me some sort of privilege before Christ and in the church. Or perhaps on the other side, we think that my experience, my history, my past bars me or keeps me from coming to Christ. I need to change. I need to change the kind of things I'm interested in and the groups I belong to. I'm thankful that in this church, we have a wide variety of groups and interests. We have people that are sports fans, people that are board gamers, gardeners, birders. Did you already say that? Archers, homeschool, public school, private school, anime fans. Lots of different interests and groups. And none of these things give us privilege, a, a leg up before Christ. But on the other hand, none of them need to be changed or rejected to live faithfully for Christ. This is a good thing. And then Paul gives us a second example, um, one that 
on the surface level is, appears to be quite controversial, but is in fact quite relevant to us. So the last three verses here, verse 21. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So this has in mind the situation in Rome of slaves and or bond servants and, and former slaves, those who were freed. And these bond servants or slaves were the lowest member in that society. But in a way that was very different from American slavery, which immediately comes to mind when we read this. So these bond servants could make a decent living. They had a steady job. They did have some freedoms. And they would often have the chance to purchase their freedom. And given the chance, many of them actually chose to stay with their masters because of the benefits that provided. But still, this wasn't a desirable situation. And that's kind of the point. You were owned by a master. You didn't have the freedoms and opportunities and wealth that other people did. But Paul says, do not be concerned about it. Don't make this your ultimate concern. Don't think that such a situation restricts you from living faithfully and fruitfully for God. No matter how much freedom or or bondage, or opportunities, or not, or power, or wealth, or poverty we have in this life, that should not be our ultimate concern if we belong to Christ. We are called to worship and enjoy Him in all things, beginning now and into eternity, and we can do that right now, no matter what our life situation is. Now, notice that in this example, Paul doesn't say, don't seek to change this. He says, if you can, by all means, gain your freedom. So this is not a call to prefer suffering and bondage and weakness. But if you can't change such a situation, if you can't change the undesirable situations in your life, and the truth is we often can't, and for most of these bond servants, they couldn't. Begin living faithfully for God right where you are. Now, many, many read this today, and, and the question that comes up is, why doesn't Paul speak out a little more, or perhaps a lot more, directly and firmly about slavery? It's a good question, but there are a couple of good reasons for this. So first, this is a message not to the owners of bondservants or masters, but to the bondservants themselves, equipping them to live faithfully in a situation which they had little control over. And then secondly, while economic and financial and material concerns are not unimportant to God, they are not ultimate. Let me unpack those a little bit. First of all, this is a message to the bond servants themselves. The message to the 
owners would have been treat them fairly. Treat them as you want to be treated. Treat them as image bearers of God. And if they're believers, treat them as your brothers and sisters. Paul will tell Philemon later in, an, in his letter to Philemon to treat this former slave as a brother in Christ. Elsewhere, Scripture explicitly condemns slave trafficking as a sin. But in a world of sin and sinners, where there will be harsh masters, harsh employers, where there will be cold and inhumane systems, where we will find ourselves in undesirable and unchangeable situations, we also need to know, can I live in a way that pleases God right here and now? Do I have any hope right here and now, or is all my hope in my physical situation changing? And I'm sure all of us can readily relate to that. Do I have to wait for situations to change before I can live in a way that pleases God and that is good? It is certainly appropriate to desire change in difficult and unjust situations. But we shouldn't put all of our hope in such a change. We shouldn't put off living faithfully for God until change comes. Your position in Christ is more significant and more weighty than your position in this world. Spiritual freedom matters more than physical freedom. It would be better to suffer unjustly in this life and be free in the next than vice versa. As Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And this relates to the second point. So despite what Marx and many other claim, your economic, your financial, your material or societal status is not what matters most about you, is not who you are. Life is not ultimately about what you have or don't have, what you make or don't make, whatever power you have or don't have. It's about glorifying God. Now, God certainly cares about and speaks into all of those matters. He cares about matters of economics and politics and how we treat one another and justice and caring for the poor, and he calls us to do the same. But the hope of Christianity is not in changing society or keeping society from changing or in creating this great Christian subculture or just culture. The hope of Christianity is in God and his coming kingdom and his glory. And yes, his coming kingdom will be full of righteousness and justice and peace and love, and we are to long for this and to pray for this. But this ultimately depends on a powerful work of God and not just our efforts. It ultimately depends on hearts that are changed by the gospel and not just changed policies and programs. And it always depends on us waiting and waiting and continuing faithfully and waiting on God and trusting Him for the results. And what this means 
is that we have hope to offer those and for ourselves when we find ourselves in oppressive and unjust or simply unfavorable situations. Your situation doesn't have to change for you to live in a way that is good and pleasing to God. It doesn't mean you don't try to change your situation. It doesn't mean we don't work to change situations for others. But where we are right now, we have freedom and hope in Christ. And Paul speaks to this specifically. In verse 22, he says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, so your life situation is you have this, this bondage, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant as Christ, of Christ. You were bought with a price. So this is at the heart of what we are talking about, that becoming a Christian involves both freedom and bondage. And this reality eclipses every sort of freedom or bondage we may have in this life. So in Christ, through his death and resurrection, through his spirit in us, through his great and precious promises, there is freedom. There is freedom from the power and tyranny of sin, from the guilt of sin. There is freedom from our addiction to self-rule and rebellion against God. There is freedom to be and live how we were made to in worship of our creator there is freedom that our sin and that God's commands and law no longer has the last word on us. But at the same time, there is submission. There is a kind of bondage. Paul willingly calls himself a servant of God, a slave of God. There is submission to God as Lord and Master, good Lord and Master, but Lord and Master nonetheless of Every atom in our bodies, every millisecond of our lives, every thought, word, and deed. We are called to submit ourselves to his rule and his reign, to trust him in all things, to seek his glory in all things. And if this is the case, that means that all other kinds of freedoms or bondages that we experience in this life lose their power. The various life situations and experiences we find ourselves in lose their significance. We sing about this in a number of songs. Uh, we didn't sing it today, but we sing, I fear no foe, with thee at hand to bless, ills have no weight, tears lose their bitterness. We also sing, bane and blessing, pain and pleasure by the cross are sanctified. So both good and bad times are made holy, are opportunities for faithful and fruitful living. You might say you are hashtag blessed in both good and bad times. Whether you are free or in bondage, or feel free or in bondage in your place in life, at home, at work, school, in society, is of secondary importance and doesn't need to change. Maybe change would be good. Maybe there's good reasons to seek change. But more than likely, it's not necessary and it's not ultimate. 
What matters is that we belong to God and we know both the freedom and the bondage that is in Him. Uh, Augustine famously, famously wrote, You have made us for Yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in You. There are a million promises of rest and comfort and hope out there. You, you know the, the stat that you see something like, I don't know, hundreds if not thousands of ads a day, and they all promise you some sort of comfort or rest or hope, and they all fail to deliver. They all overpromise and underfulfill. But those who seek God find Him and find in Him rest for their souls and abundant life. We're going to take communion now. And in communion, we recognize that we don't come to Christ merely for the benefits that it gives to us, for, that He gives to us. We were purchased with a price. That is, we, our situation was, was desperate, and we needed to be bought with a price that we could not pay. And God, in His goodness and grace, at great cost to Himself, suffered and died for us. We were dead in our sins, and He gave Himself for us to draw us into relationship with Himself. And as we take communion, we are also recognizing that this is what draws us all together as a diverse group of people, that our one ground of unity is that we were bought with a price, and that we are here not because of any achievements or accomplishments or skills that we possess, but because of our boast in Christ as our only hope in life and death. Let's pray.